So we've got a, a vision, a vision statement as a church, and a vision statement, I believe, is a it's like an aspirational um, identity statement. It's it's who we are and who we want to be, and we want to be a a community of disciples following the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. And we need we need a vision because we need something to aim at. Um, we need goalposts if we're playing um, football. Otherwise, it just looks like prep kids playing at recess and you wouldn't pay... How much was the footy yesterday, Alan? You would not pay $27 plus booking fee to see preps run around. I, I believe the pies have come down in price. So that's nice. So we need goalposts to aim at, something to to look to, to go, this is who we want to become and this is who we are in, in many ways. Um, so we can be encouraged that, that we are a community of disciples who are following the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. Um, this is the first time we've done a, a little vision talk since Ivan and Anna left and I just want to acknowledge that. Um, Ivan and Anna um, yeah, wrapped up at Embrace a few, few weeks ago and... Um, that was sad for many of us and, and hard to see a part of the family um, leave. But we're still a community of disciples, still following the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. Um, the world needs the church. The world needs us to be Jesus' disciples as, as a witness and as, as salt and light. I um, found out this morning, uh, a little bit late, but that someone was murdered like 150 metres from my house. Um, or they they found a body yesterday, 150 metres from my house, and it's the um, fourth um, young woman in the last sort of year in Melbourne that such terrible things have happened to. Um, let alone just the despair, the relational breakdown, the the stress and anxiety, um, all of the symptoms of of sin. The world needs Jesus, and the world needs. Um, the church of Jesus, to, to shine light and, and to follow the way of him for the sake of the world. Um, and so today, I want to focus on the centre of this statement, um, disciples following the way of Jesus. This is the centre of, of our vision. I believe this is the main thing we uh, need to be about as, as the church of Jesus. Um, Jeremy Treat, he's a theologian and a, a pastor in L.A., and he's put together this really nifty little book called Follow Me, uh, A Simple Guide to Following Jesus. Um, it's by this like design company who's, I think on the, the front cover it says, you know, Jesus is beautiful. And so they, they want to make nice um, silver embossed uh, linen cloth bound books. But I recommend, it's a good little um, primer on, on following the way of Jesus. And he says in his book, a Christian is someone who receives the gospel and responds by following Jesus. He's got this little diagram here. Re- receive the gospel and then follow Jesus. And, and so we receive the gospel. That's the first thing um, we must do. The gospel, of course, is the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing. Who he is, uh, son of God, son of man, Messiah, um, the incarnate one, what he's done. Um, particularly at the cross and the resurrection and what he's doing through that, through the outpouring of the Spirit, what he's going to do in the new creation. 
Um, the gospel is because of the love of Jesus. And we, so we receive the gospel because of his love and then the invitation is to follow him. Um, that's, that's the invitation from Jesus and that's our call, our bit, our response after we've received is to follow him. And so I want to look at a couple of passages in Mark as well as the one that, that Winnie read um, which, which speak to this. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. This is at the very start of Mark's Gospel. And he saw uh, a man named Simon and his brother Andrew. They were fishing. And Jesus said, come, follow me. And that set the pattern for what his call would be to disciples. Come, follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. See, come, follow me for the sake of the world. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and they left their father in the boat with the hired men. I don't know how you leave someone in a boat. Maybe there was a pier nearby. Maybe they were great swimmers. But they left the boat and they followed Jesus right away. Um, Next chapter in Mark, we see once again Jesus was, was near a lake. A large crowd came to him. He was teaching them. And as he walked along, he saw a guy named Levi this time sitting at the tax collector's booth. So it was a tax collector. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So this is the pattern of, of what discipleship means. It's to follow Jesus. Uh, later on in Mark's Gospel, there's a, a wealthy man and, and he um, comes up to Jesus and he's got some questions for him. He wants to inherit the kingdom of God, eternal life. Jesus tells him how to do that with the law and then Jesus looks at him. He loves him and he says, well, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Following Jesus can be challenging, can, can often it should mean sacrifice. And in our reading today, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, He's saying, anyone who wants to be my disciple, the invitation's wide. They must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Whoever will lose their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Try to save your own life, you'll lose it. So take up your cross and follow me. It's the call to discipleship. Um, Bonhoeffer called it the cost of discipleship. He said, if um, when, when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bid him come die. So Jesus calls disciples to follow him. I was, um, I was a disciple of someone before I was a disciple of Jesus. I was a disciple of the Australian fast bowler, Brett Lee. Does anyone remember Brett Lee? There's still some people who who are into cricket. Brett Lee was my hero. I was a follower of Brett Lee. I watched his every move. I read newspaper articles and um, cricket magazine articles. Inside Edge was one of the great magazines at the time. I um, started doing my hair like Brett Lee. I didn't have curly hair when I was younger, and so I'd get the gel out and comb it right back, just like straight backwards with a little like 
flick at the top, the veranda, you know, and I would copy his bowling action, like steaming in. Everyone was like, who is this serious nine-year-old? You know, why does he look so serious when he's trying to have fun playing cricket? But I was, I was trying to be Brett Lee. You know, Brett Lee was on the, the Wheat Bix box, so what did I have for breakfast every day? At Wheat Bix. Marketing works, guys. Um, I was a follower of Brett Lee. I wanted to be like Brett Lee. I, I watched his every move. And that's what a disciple does. A disciple uh, imitates. A disciple learns from, watches, becomes like. Um, this might be familiar territory because it's the the heart of our vision statement. So I've, I've been saying some of this stuff you know, along the way. But Jesus didn't invent discipleship. There were already rabbis in the day who had disciples. And rabbis would um, sort of hold tests and take the top students only. The rabbis were the, the, um, the top universities, the top religious universities of the day, if you like, only taking the best. And yet Jesus was a rabbi with disciples who were, were sinners, who were tax collectors, who were fishermen. Jesus wouldn't choose only, elite, the, only the elite. Jesus would choose a ragtag bunch to be his disciples. And so the word disciple in the original is mathetes. And um, if you hear that word mathetes, you'll hear math in there and you'll think of school, right? And mathetes means student, one who learns from. Many scholars suggest that um, a good modern translation would be apprentices, like a tradie who does an apprenticeship, right? I, um, I'm just stepping into the world of um, handyman-ness. I'm awful, but I banged a few tiles in when we did our um, little porch. So I think I can claim to know how to use a rubber mallet now. Um, you know, make sure the surface is flat or you'll break them. There you go. That's a tip. Um, Make sure you don't get your fingers in your way or you'll hurt them. Another tip I learnt <laughs> the hard way. But um, from my understanding, if you're an apprentice, you spend like four years getting underpaid, having to shout pies for your, your boss, but you spend time with them, listening to the radio on the, um, the blast box. You spend time watching them. You spend time learning from them because you want to do what they do, because you want to become like them. So a disciple, one who follows Jesus, is an apprentice of Jesus, a student. And a disciple is with Jesus, learns from Jesus, and becomes like Jesus. So what I mean by a, a disciple is with Jesus. And, and this language is in, um, is in this book. So credit to, to Jeremy Treat um, and his trendy design buddies. But um, with Jesus means to be in the presence of God. We're saved to be in the presence of God. The Bible is a story of, of the presence of God from Eden when, when God walked and talked with Adam and Eve to the, to the city of, of heaven, the streets of heaven, where we'll all be with God in his full presence. His desire is to dwell with us, to live with us. Next week, um, we're looking at John 15, abide in the vine, dwell in the vine, live with Jesus. So discipleship is primarily to be with Jesus. Um, to learn from Jesus is essential too. If, if mathetes is, is the word for disciple, if it's student, if it's got math in it, um, then, then we need to learn from him. Learn how to be. Learn who God is. Learn the way to God. Learn the truth and the life. Learn the mind of Christ. What are the mental maps of Jesus? 
How does he see the world? What's his disposition to, to people on the margins, to, to women, to, to men, to God? Learn who God is. Learn what his way is. Learn from Jesus and ultimately become like. That's the, the destination, right? The goal is Christ-likeness, that we would become like Christ. And that's in both character and behaviour, in his being and his doing. So his character... The goal is that we'd become like Christ in his disposition. That we'd have the mind of Christ, Paul says. That we'd have the emotional health of Christ. We'd have the confident humility and humble confidence. We'd have the attitude towards people. We'd have the relationship with the Father. That's ultimately what Christ came, to show us his relationship with the Father so we could have the same thing. That's why there's an exchange at the cross. So to become like Christ in character and also to become like Christ in behaviour, that we'd do the stuff he did, we'd pray the prayers that he prayed, we'd proclaim the gospel like he did, we'd, we'd love other people, serve other people, eat with strangers, eat with people on the margins like he did, we'd see people healed and liberated like he did, that we'd mature into the fullness of Christ. And so that's why the centre of our statement is disciples following the way of Jesus. That would be people who are with Jesus, learn from Jesus and become like him. Um, Why is the word way in there? Couldn't it say disciples following Jesus? It could, of course, but Jesus had a way. And it's important because Jesus wasn't just a, a leader who we follow in an abstract sense. Like We like his ideas. We like Jesus. Jesus showed a new way to be human. Jesus had a life. It wasn't just born of the Virgin Mary, then suffered under the Pontius Pilate. He had a life, a ministry, a a demonstration of of what it means to be the most fully human, human to ever live. And so we can cling on to him, follow him, because we're human, follow him in his humanity, learn his way, Follow him in his way. If we're in an aeroplane, think about this. If you're in an aeroplane, you've entrusted your life into the hands of the plane, right? That's why as soon as like two planes go down that are the same make, we cancel the whole fleet because we no longer trust that vessel. If you're in an aeroplane, you've entrusted your life to the plane and you go where the plane goes. Once you're in the plane, you can't be like, you know what, changed my mind. You're going wherever that plane is going. You're still an individual person on the plane. You're still, you know, Ronald on the plane or Jackie on the plane or Kelly on the plane. But you're at the mercy of the plane. You're in the plane and you're going the way of the plane. And the earliest Christians were called followers of the way because they were, they were in the way of Jesus. They were going the way of Jesus. Where, where Jesus went, they would go. They still had identities, they still were people, but they'd submitted themselves, immersed themselves. They lived in the way of Jesus. If you do a Bible gateway search in the New Testament, Christian will come up three times, but disciple will come up 260-odd times. Because the call for the Christian is to follow the way of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And the great thing about discipleship, if discipleship is following, if we're following 
the key is movement. Right? To be following someone, you have to be behind them, looking at them, and you have to be moving in accordance with the one in front of you. You can't follow someone you know, if, if they're in the car in front of you and you break down, can't follow. But if they're in front of you and you're not a great driver, you can still follow them. If they're in front of you and your car is a bit of a wreck, you can still follow them. Movement is, is the key to discipleship, which means there's no spiritual hierarchy. It's not about how much you know or how long you've been a Christian. It can help to, have, to notice that people are at different stages in their journey with Jesus. But the key is actually that you're, you're moving in his direction. You're following him. That you're with him, you're learning from him, and you're becoming like him. So that's the aim What are the invitations for us at Embrace if we're going to be a community of disciples who follow the way of Jesus for the sake of the world? I think the the invitations of Jesus are threefold. It's to commit to Jesus and his way, to be transformed by Jesus and his way, and to walk with Jesus in his way. So commit. Commit to Jesus and his way. A couple of weeks ago we looked at John 14, Six, remember that? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there's, there's an exclusive dimension of following Jesus, right? Um, on Instagram, when we follow someone, we still follow all our other followers, right? You're like, not cool account, like the design, follow, but they're just one of 700 other accounts we follow. When we um, you know, follow NBA, we, we often these days just follow players. You know, This player here, this player there. Oh, I like that team, but then he left, so whatever. When you follow Jesus, you can't be following 700 different other accounts at the same time. Following Jesus is an exclusive commitment. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of compelling storylines that our secular world um, compels us to believe or compels us to follow. One way you can um, work out these storylines is by looking at advertising, right? Advertising is like the, um, the moral pits of our, of our world. Um, they're, they're working out how to monetize our desires, monetize our, our wants and needs. And, and so I was looking today, I, was, I saw two buses go past, um, just one after the other, two buses go past. First bus had, have you seen these like new David Jones ads everywhere with these brand names on it and these models like, you know, doing some pose saying, if you look like this, you'll have it. If you look like this, you'll be happy. If you dress like this, you'll look like this and then you'll be happy. Next bus that goes past, KFC Twister. (laughs) If you eat like this, you'll be happy. I'm looking at these two buses going, look, I want a twister, I want to look like the David Jones model, but they don't match up. Like, I can't do both. But these are the storylines, these are the accounts that the world wants us to follow. You know, secularism says that follow the way of image and people will like you and you'll be loved. Follow the way of success and you'll be rich and fulfilled by the status and the stuff. Follow the way of pleasure and you'll be the happiest version of yourself. Follow the way of individualism and you'll be the most free and most true to yourself. But Jesus says, follow me to the cross. And by losing your life 
for me and for the gospel, you will find it. Totally different message, totally different narrative. Which is why we can't sort of follow Jesus and then follow the idol of image and the idol of personal freedom and the idol of pleasure and the idol of success. Because they're different stories. David Brooks, he's a, an author and New York Times columnist, he, he defines commitment. He says, commitment is falling in love with something and then building a structure of behaviour around it for those moments when love falters. Falling in love and then building a structure of behaviour around that thing for those moments when love falters. Right? We commit to Jesus because of his love and therefore our love in return. We commit to Jesus because we love him, but our desires are so often um, disordered. They, the, our priorities go, go awry. We, um, we, we say we love Jesus the most, but there's these competing things that we sort of love quite a lot too. We're prone to wonder. And yet we know that Jesus is the best thing to love, the best way to live, the best person to follow. And yet we're prone to wonder. And so what we do is we make commitments. We commit to Jesus and his way. Um, Often this is uh, through disciplines. Like we might commit to reading scripture every day. That's a great one. We might commit to, to praying before checking our messages. We might commit to Every time we get a message, say a little prayer before you check it. Who knows? Different commitments. They can be super intense, like no Bible, no breakfast. I don't know if that one's happened in your house. That's pretty intense. Um, I tried to implement that one and just said, I'm hungry for the Word of God, but I'm also hungry for wee I said, yes, Mrs. Lee. Um, that's the Brett Lee um, reference. Um, not anything else. Um, but so we um we make commitments because our desires falter. We're prone to wonder. Our love falters. Maybe it's to to be aware of His presence each day. Maybe it's to memorize Scripture. A great commitment is to come to church every Sunday. Great to see everyone here. In some ways, I think the, the classic three spiritual disciplines of the church are Bible, prayer, and church. And they're sort of tried and true. Like You can, you can plumb the depths of those um, in a myriad of ways. There's different ways of engaging with, with Scripture. There's different ways of praying as we're learning in the prayer course. There's different dimensions to being in church community. But Bible, Scripture, Bible, prayer, and church, if you get those three right, they're three great commitments to say, I'm going to be formed in the way of Jesus. I'm, I'm going to leave my net. I'm going to change my ways to follow him. And that's the second thing that I think Jesus invites us to, is to, to be transformed by Jesus and his way, to be changed. The disciples had to leave their nets. The, the rich man had to sell everything. Following Jesus means you have to change. You're going to change. You should change. People sometimes say, you've changed. And they say it in a tone which you know is negative, even though they claim it's neutral. But you've changed is not a bad thing. You've changed is a great thing. You know, caterpillars love becoming butterflies. 
There's like multiple like albums, um, you know, called Metamorphosis. Um, I think you know Hilary Duff was was the one my sisters used to listen to. I think my wife um, thinks that Taylor Swift's new album is going to be called that. Is that right? Not something like that. What is it? Doesn't matter. Fair enough. Um, doesn't matter. But you've changed is not a bad thing. Changing is good. We need to mature. We need to grow. And change to be like Jesus is the best change that can happen to us. Transformation, to be transformed by Jesus in his way. The, the theological word is, is sanctification. Uh, one word I love for it is terraformed. It's like a sci-fi word, terraformed. It, it means that a planet is shaped to become more like Earth so that it can inhabit life. It's like Mars terraforms to be more like Earth so it can inhabit life inhabit life. And if we're terraformed, changed, shaped to be more like Jesus for the sake of life, for the sake of the world, then that's going to be good news for the world. Like, everyone changes. No one doesn't change. If you don't change ever, you're sort of strange. Um, The question is, are you going to be changed? Are you going to be formed by the way of Jesus or the way of the world or the way of something else? This will flow out of those commitments I was just talking about because we're formed by what we love. Um, So you you will be changed. Everyone will undergo some sort of spiritual formation or spiritual transformation. The question is, will it be intentional? Will it be in the way of Jesus? Or will you let the world's ways change you? So so a guy called John Mark Comer, who's um, on the podcast This Cultural Moment, which I've recommended to a few people, um, his church... Bridgetown, they've come up with this thing, their theory of change. And they have unintentional spiritual formation and intentional. Unintentional spiritual formation, this theory of change, is that people change through the stories we believe. You know, whether that's the story of image or success or uh, individualism, uh, through the habits we have and through the relationships, the people that are around us. And at the centre of that, generally, is our environment, which is why you know, people from America will look different from people from New Zealand. And, and the sort of simple version of that is that over time, through life, you change. If we're intentional about our formation, though, we can be transformed by teaching, which is the stories we believe, but it's the teachings of Jesus. Is scripture, it's the doctrines of the church. The, the, the disciplines or practices we engage in, the community we surround ourselves with. Same principles that we're changed by the stories we believe, the people we're around and the things we do. But intentionally, we put ourselves in those places, we put ourselves in those environments and the Holy Spirit will change us. The low version of that is that through suffering, or as Jay-Z says, through the hard knocks, will be changed. So the invitation is to change and to mature. When, when children are first born, I don't know if you've ever met a, a baby. Um, we were having dinner with uh, some friends who are in ministry this week, and they have like a two-year-old, and he's getting there. But babies are just super selfish. Like the first words they learn or the main words they speak are me and mine. And, um, yeah, jo- little Josh, who's two years old, but he's a legend. Um, he'll just, mid-convo, just be like, mommy, 
Mommy! Like, just because he wasn't getting attention, like, right away, right? The idea is that as we get older, we'll mature and we'll, be, we'll begin to consider that the world is bigger than ourselves, right? It'd be weird if right now Kelly was like, hey, Viv, I've got something to tell you. And she's like, Vivian! Vivian! Everyone would be like, Kelly, come on. If you sit in the aisle, you're more likely to get picked on. So, um, sorry, Kelly and Viv, but didn't happen. Well done. As we mature, we begin to realize that we're not the center of the story. When we first meet Jesus, we often um, see ourselves as the center of the story and go, oh, Jesus is a great person to have met and he's going to help me. And, and maybe he can fit into my life. And how can I fit Jesus into my life? But as we mature, we start to go, what if it's more about me fitting into Jesus' life? About me fitting into his story? What if I'm not the main character, but I'm just a supporting actor in his grand story? If, it's, if this was a Lego um, building, I haven't been watching Lego Masters, but anything with Hamish Blake I'm a fan of, so um, hopefully I'll catch it on... What's nines are... Uh, Nine now, there we go. <laughs> I knew what I was asking before I finished the sentence. Maybe I'll catch on nine now before it expires. But um, if I'm building my life with Lego, building my life, and I have Jesus as a key piece, that's great. Maybe I have Jesus as the cornerstone. That's great. Maybe I have Jesus as like the main piece, the big piece. That's great. But as I mature, I find that Jesus is actually the Lego master that he's building a masterpiece and I'm simply a piece of Lego. Which the world would, would say, that's don't be so belittling of yourself. You're worth so much more than a piece of Lego. But God says we are beautiful, wonderful, carefully made bits of Lego, playing our role in his great story, playing our role in the, the project that the master builder is making. And so we can submit our lives to him. We can um, be humbled but free that we're not in control, that we're not the masters. So we want to be transformed by Jesus in his way. And the third invitation, I believe then, is to walk with Jesus in his way. Following Jesus is going to mean that we have to leave our nets, that we're going to have to change. We're going to have to sell our stuff. It's going to mean we have to become more mature. We're going to have to grow. But ultimately it's going to mean that we look like Jesus, that we walk with Jesus in his way, that we would actually live out Jesus' way in our day. See, Jesus went to the cross. So walking in his footsteps, living out his way, means that we have a cross to carry, we have a sacrifice that we have to make. That's why Bonhoeffer says when Christ calls a man, he bids him come die. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors and he got flack for it because that wasn't the done thing. It's swimming against the tide. I remember when I was um, in year 10, I thought it would be a good idea to do a bronze medallion, um, life-saving thing. Have you heard of, of that? You can become like a lifesaver at the beach, wear the cool red shorts. and um, Not as fun as it sounds. I think your face is telling me that you already understood that it's not as fun as it sounds. But I thought it would be really fun. So I went on this like one-week camp called the Bronze Medallion Life-Saving Training and we'd do all these exercises at the beach and it was intense and it was in Fairhaven which is down on the um, sort of Great Ocean Road 
And then on the last day of the camp, we had a test. We had to be able to swim to show that we could save lives. And the weather was really pretty bad. And I was a pretty bad swimmer. And I spent about 20, 30, maybe 35 minutes swimming the, the beach course to show that I could save someone's life. And the judges said, you looked more like you needed your life to be saved. <laughs> I failed the test, right? Couldn't be a lifesaver. But then they said, if you go down to like the beach at Sandridge, which is like um, South Melbourne, if you go down to South Melbourne Beach, do the test again, you'll pass easily because it's like super flat. There's no current, there's no waves. I went and I smashed it, right? Which was good in a way, but bad in a way because then I was on the roster at Fairhaven and if someone's life needed saving, it would turn out that I'd probably need saving too. See, there's been times in the past there's been, which are sometimes sort of sentimentalised when following Jesus in the world, for the sake of the world, seemed more like it would be pretty, pretty still swimming. There wouldn't be too many bumps. But our day and age means that the current against the way of Jesus is strong. And we have to be strong swimmers. It's uphill running, it's upstream swimming. C.S. Lewis called discipleship to, be, to become little Christs. And if we're, we're to become little Christs, it's going to take guts and strength and we're not going to be able to do it on our own. We're going to need Jesus in us, his Holy Spirit. We're going to need to be with him. We're going to need to learn from him. We're going to need to do it together. We're going to need to do it with teaching. We're going to need to do it with the Holy Spirit. We're going to need to do it through the hard knocks of life. But if we can walk with Jesus in his way, it's going to be the best news for the world. Because imagine if your boss was a little Christ. Imagine if your boss had the kindness and humility of Jesus. Imagine if your next door neighbour had the, the generosity and hospitality of Jesus. Imagine if your colleague had the patience and perseverance of Jesus. Imagine if your mate had the courage of Christ and the mind of Christ. Imagine if people in your world had the love of Jesus. That would be a great way to live. And so the best way to bless the world is for us to become like little Christ and to make little Christ, to be disciples and make disciples. And so our goal as a church is to be disciples and make disciples who follow the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. And to finish, I want to say that is the metric of success for us as a church. If we go down in number that doesn't say anything about if we've succeeded or not. If we go down in finances, if we have no buzz, if we have no reputation, if no one's ever heard of us, that is not what makes us successful as a church. The world's metrics for success are not Jesus's. If we do church well, we'll measure that by disciples made by depth of discipleship, that, that we would have people following Jesus, who are with Jesus, who are learning from Jesus, who are becoming like Jesus. That's who we want to be as a church and that's our metric of success for church.
So I want to say that really clearly because sometimes the world's metrics um, are harsh or sometimes they're, um, they're tempting to, to try and live into that or live up to that. But success for us as a church is, is to be disciples following the way of Jesus. He's loved us. He's called us children. He's, his gospel has reached us, praise God, and we've received it. And his invitation is to follow him with, with all of our lives. Let's pray. Thank you for this invitation, Jesus. I pray we might might listen and might be willing to, to leave our nets behind us, to even sell everything we have if that's what you're calling us to do, to commit to you and your way above all else, to, to be changed by you and your way and to, to become like you, to, to walk with you in your way for the sake of the world. Amen.